morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Good to be opening up the word to you. And I will be opening up scripture this morning. You guys paid attention to the bulletin. Notice there's a title there, but no scripture. And I was asked, are we going to open up the Bible this morning? <laughs> we will do that, but it's going to be in a little bit of a different way. We are going to be all over the Bible this morning. I'm not necessarily going to um, exposit a passage but we're going to do more of a topical type sermon this morning. But we will be in the Word of God, and we're going to open up with reading from Psalm 100. So if you would like to turn to Psalm 100 as we begin our time this morning. <clears throat> this is a, a psalm for giving thanks. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. And come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and give and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. We are told to do some things in here. We are told to make a joyful noise. We're told to serve the Lord with gladness. We're to come into His presence knowing that He is God. And I hope we have an understanding of who He is as we come into worship because we are His people. We are to enter His courts with praise and thanksgiving. And we do this because He is good and his steadfast love endures forever and we come together each week and we celebrate these things and we have spent the past seven weeks taking time to examine worship and what scripture has to say about worship it has been a joyous time for me and I hope for you as well I love studying about worship but it's important to us to look to scripture so that it tells us how to worship. It guides us in how we are to worship. And this is true whether it is in our personal worship or whether it is together corporately as we do here weekly. We have looked at many different aspects of our time together, why we worship the way we do, why we structure the services in the way we do, and why we put different aspects of worship together for our liturgy or what is our call to worship that you find in your bulletin each week. And this morning I'm going to keep on the topic of worship, but we're going to shift our direction just a little bit in how we respond to worship. And not with just our hearts, because we have talked about the some, but also with the way um, we um, worship with our bodies. Have you ever thought about that? What do we do with our bodies in worship? We engage our hearts, we engage our minds in worship, and this is true, but is that all? Do we leave it at that? Over the past weeks, we have been called, we have been encouraged, we have been exhorted to engage our hearts in worship. And we are to take our minds, we're to take our wills, we are to take our emotions, and we are to pursue God with these things. And as we worship, we are pursuing God through the truth of His Word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this gives us something 
to respond to. But how do we respond? Over the weeks, we have seen how to worship God with our hearts, and we should be uh, um, uh, concerned about how we worship God with our hearts and our attitudes towards that. We should always be mindful of that in all of our lives. Because I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, he's not just interested in lip service as we come to worship him. He's not just interested in part of our worship. When we come before God in worship, we are to give him all that we have. We are completely to surrender to him in worship. But what does this look like on a Sunday morning? What does this look like in your own personal worship time? What should be the posture of our worship as we gather together? Already we worship within, with our bodies in just normal ways that we probably don't even realize because it's just natural to us. And as we think of the postures of worship, the Bible is very clear about clapping in worship. The Bible is very clear about shouting and raising our hands in worship. You may be sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, he's about to go charismatic on us. But I'm not going to go charismatic on us. I assure you. But if you think about it, you already use your bodies in worship. When we're reading scripture, we are using our eyes, yes? Even when we are singing, we're using our eyes to see the words. Maybe we close our eyes for different reasons as we are singing and focusing on the Lord. To hear the word of God preached, we listen with our ears. We are attentive. And we hear the room filled with praise as we lift our voices together. And when we fill this room with singing, when we read scripture together, when we pray together, we're using our mouths, yes? And these things are normal for us. We think nothing about this. Even when we pray, we tend to think of different postures of praying. We, we stand when we pray. We sit when we pray. We kneel down when we pray. We cross our hands. Isn't that what we teach our children? Cross your hands and let's pray. And there is no wrong way to pray in thinking of postures. If someone were to kneel up here during a time of prayer, maybe during the pastoral prayer or some other time, we really wouldn't think much about that. I remember when Joshua and I had our ordination service, we knelt here on the floor and the elders came and they laid hands on us and they prayed for us. And I probably would think that you guys thought nothing about that. That is what we do. And that is a posture of prayer or worship. But what about other postures? Again, the Bible has much to say about our posture and worship. Earlier, Chase read Nehemiah 8, and you may not have noticed, but in this passage, we saw God's people responding in many different ways. They were listening. It even said they were being very attentive to what was being said. We saw them standing up. We saw them voicing a hearty amen. Gary was probably there to charge that. They were bowing their heads together. They were lifting up their hands. All these things are responses. All these things are postures that we can do in worship. And we see all of those in that particular passage. But those things aren't what they were just supposed to do. I mean, many times 
we, we see worship and we see people and they just like, oh, they're raising their hands, so I should probably raise my hands. Or everybody's clapping, so I should just do that. And that's not what they were doing. It wasn't just something that they thought they needed to do. They were responding because they were gripped by the power of the word and responded to who God is and what he was doing in their lives. And I want us this morning to know that we should and we do have the freedom to respond to God in our worship in appropriate ways, ways that we can see throughout Scripture. To use different postures in worship is right. We should not be afraid to show expression to God through these different postures, and we should not be afraid of the person next to us and what they might think. But instead, we should let them see the joy that we have in worshiping our God. If we think of the word worship, the meaning of the word worship, most translated in the Old and the New Testament refers to posture. In the Old Testament, we see the Hebrew word translated to worship. That means to become low or to bow down as an act of reverence. It's a posture. And in the New Testament, we have the Greek word that translates worship, and it has a similar meaning. Again, this is bow down uh, or become low or to kiss toward. And in these words, I see this humble person bowing down to God Almighty, showing great reverence toward God and acknowledging Him as sovereign over their lives and most high. And we see this demonstrated in 2 Chronicles 7, 1 through 3. And like I said, I'm going to be all over the Bible. If you're quick enough to keep up with me, you're able to do that. But what I would really like you to do, if you can't keep up, great, but write these passages down. Because I would like for you to go back and look deeper into these and even get some more of the context to see how they responded and why they did. <clears throat> well, this is 2 Chronicles 7, verse 1 through 3. It says, As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down their faces to the ground on the pavement and they worshiped and they gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. We see this throughout the Psalms as well, but in Psalm 95, 6, we have this imitation. It says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. We can even look into the New Testament. In Matthew 2, verse 11, and when the wise men, they came, you'll remember they came to visit Jesus, and it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. In Matthew 28, after the resurrection of Christ, we see in verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. That is, they bowed low and they worshipped him. These are physical expressions of worship towards God. So is it more, it, it, it's more than just worshipping with our hearts. It's also worshipping with our bodies as well. And what I want to do this morning is give you seven postures of worship 
And this certainly does not cover all of them that you will find in the Word of God, but I understand I am under the clock. But I want to whet your appetite so that you would go and study these things a bit further. <clears throat> and through this, it will be a good for us to see how God has shown us in Scripture how to worship and what He says about physically responding to Him. And the first one that I want to look at this morning is that of bowing the knee. The first posture that we find in Scripture is that bowing of the knee or maybe kneeling. Bowing and kneeling both have been associated with worship for a very long time. I mentioned in Psalm 95.6, it says, Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. This is a great call to worship that gives us instruction on how we can come before the Lord and worship Him. In 2 Chronicles 6.12-13, we see this Solomon's prayer of dedication. It says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and he spread out his hands. Solomon had made bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the court, and he stood on it. And then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands toward heaven. We even see in the New Testament, Paul is speaking or praying for spiritual strength in Ephesians 3.14, and he says, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father. See, bowing and kneeling before rulers is something that we have seen in the past and we still see in some places. And this was a common thing to do before God gave us the law even. People would bow before rulers. People would bow and still do before false gods. But when God gave us the Ten Commandments, He was setting up some new rules. He gave us some new boundaries for us to follow. And we see in Exodus 20 verse 4, it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below. Or that is in the water underneath. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. You see, God reserves any form of worship for himself. And bowing down before someone or something is a form of worship is forbidden in Scripture. Now, the command that we see in Exodus was not a command to stop bowing altogether, but we are now to bow to only one, and that is God. We are to bow to only to our God. And bowing is an act of total submission. Bowing is an act of complete surrender, and we must um, completely surrender to God. I was going through this, and I thought of the passage in Revelation where there's an angel explaining this vision to John, and, re- and in response, he falls down and he worships this angel's feet. And the angel's like, wait a minute, no, you can't do that. He says, you must not do that, for I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. He goes, you should worship God, bow down to God and not me. We should not be afraid to bow. And truth be told, bowing will be a posture that we will all one day assume. Because there will be a day when the reality of Christ and all His glory will be so manifest, the spirits of the men will be so overwhelmed and brought low at the splendor of the truth revealed in their souls that their bodies will be able to do nothing else but to follow their hearts 
and every knee will bow down and worship. We see this in Philippians 2.9. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you ever bow down before God Almighty? Do you ever bow the knee when you spend time in prayer? I'm not saying that's the way it has to be, but this is an acceptable posture of worship. Bowing the knee or kneeling was not the only posture that was practiced by worshipers. We also see that people were falling on their faces before the Lord. Genesis chapter 17, Abraham and the covenant of circumcision. We see when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham or Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abraham fell on his face. We see in Numbers 20, verse 6, that Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And in Ezekiel eleven thirteen, we see that Ezekiel fell face down in grief, crying out to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. Have we ever been in that position? To where we are laid face down, face in the dirt, crying out to the Lord. It is the greatness of God that drives us to these postures. And we see it over and over again in Scripture. Look over at Revelation chapter 5, if you will. Read a decent section of this. It's a tremendous picture that is painted here. Revelation chapter 5. <clears throat> This is a section on the scroll and the lamb. I will pick up in verse 11. I don't have time to read the whole chapter. But in verse 11 it says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor, and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down, and they worshipped. What a tremendous picture. Every creature in heaven and on earth, crying out to the Lamb. And we see that the elders gave praise and honor to God and to the Lamb by prostrating themselves before them. This is a great picture. This is a great example of praise and adoration. One that we should not be afraid to follow. We even see this posture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when He was in the garden just hours before His crucifixion. Matthew 26, 39 says, And going a little further, he fell on his face, prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This was our Savior falling on his face before his Father in worship as he poured out his heart to him. 
He was God and he was man and his heart was heavy. But even he was compelled to cry out to his father through the physical posture of falling down before him. Next we see throughout scripture the bowing of our heads. This is something that we might see more uh, regular in our time of worship. Chase even asked us to bow our heads just a few moments ago as we began to pray. And we bow our heads and pray. Again, we teach this to our children as well. And as I lead out in worship, I stand up here and I see people closing their eyes while we're singing sometimes, even bowing their heads as they sing. This is a posture of worship. We see an example of bowing the head in Genesis 26 or 24, verse 26, when Isaac's servant finds Rebekah, and God makes it clear that she is the one to be Isaac's bride. And Scripture tells us that this man bowed his head and he worshipped the Lord. And we heard earlier in Nehemiah 8 that Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And we see this posture not only in times of prayer and in times of joy, but also as people are repenting and acknowledging their sins before God. Job 10.15 says, If I am guilty, woe to me. If I am in the right, I cannot lift up my head, for I am filled with disgrace and look on my afflictions. And in Ezra 9, 6, it says, Oh my God, I am ashamed to blush to lift my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. And on the flip side, we see scriptures and people who are lifting up their faces to Christ, to our God, as a posture, posture of hope and a delight in prayer. We see in Psalm 123, 1, it says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned above the heavens. Job 22, verse 26 says, For then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift your face up to God, and you will make a prayer to Him, and He will hear you, and you will pay your vows. <clears throat> so we have this bowing of our head that we do in many different situations. To our Lord. Another posture that we see in Scripture is that of dancing. And don't get too excited, because I'm not suggesting that we begin to dance in the church, but we find this in Scripture. Dancing that we typically see today is not really the dancing that honors the Lord, nor is it done in a way that we can worship the Lord, I don't believe. But it does not mean that to dance before the Lord is wrong. One of the more famous passages that we see about dancing before the Lord is found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. It says, So David went and brought up the ark from the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. With all his might, he danced before the Lord. And the first time that we see God's people dancing in the Bible as an act of worship, I believe is found in Exodus 15, verse 20. 
Then Miriam the prophetess and the sister of Aaron took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And this joyful dance led by Miriam followed Israel's crossing of the Red Sea and celebrated Israel's newfound freedom from slavery. And they weren't just dancing for the sake of dancing, but they were rejoicing. They had reason to dance. They had something to dance about before the Lord. The Psalms give us a unique look at dancing as an act of worship. In Psalm 1 or 30, verse 11, the psalmist says, You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my, my glory may sing your praises and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. He has given reason to be dancing. Psalm 149 encourages the use of dancing in worship. He says, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and a lyre. Psalm 150 urges, praise him with tambourine and dancing, just like we saw with Miriam. And again, I'm not saying that we should fill the room with dancing. Although I love watching the kids sing, and some of them stand on the chairs and they dance. Blesses my heart to see that. But overall, as a church, I think it would distract from the reason that we are here if we all got up and started dancing. But do you dance before the Lord in your private worship? Does the joy of the Lord fill you to the point that you can't help but dance before the Lord? And I don't know exactly what they're dancing look like, and I can't give you an example of these things. Or you don't want me to, is that why you're laughing? (laughs) But even as I'm up here singing sometime, or even this morning I'm down here singing, just the excitement of the truth that we sang just makes me want to move and dance in my own little way. You see me tapping my foot. And just moving some. I try to restrain myself from up here so I don't look crazy. But even in your own time, do you dance before the Lord as you're singing songs of praise to Him, cleaning your house or whatever it might be? This is an acceptable posture of worship. How about clapping your hands? Number five. We clap our hands. Psalm 47, 1 says, Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. We see this in Scripture, and clapping is something that we do occasionally here at Oak Park. Sometimes it is a bit awkward when we clap here at Oak Park. <clears throat> we get done singing, and three people start, and then it kind of fades out awkwardly. <laughs> and maybe the question in our minds is, Is it appropriate to clap? Is it appropriate to clap? I mean, we clap and we shout at sporting events. We're excited about what's happening on their team. But when we clap, what are we doing? We're showing approval of something. We're showing that we enjoyed something. But what we do here on Sunday morning is a little bit different than a sporting event. This is worship. We're not here cheering on our favorite team 
Our time here is a holy time. It is a meeting time between God and his people. So do we clap? Is it okay? I say yes, because we see it in Scripture. Psalm 47, clap your hands and shout to God with loud songs of praise. Because at the same time, we are wired to express ourselves in these ways. And this is why we clap. One of the times we clap typically is when we are joyful, all right? And you'll notice that some of these postures you will do at different times. If we are sorrowful, we typically are not going to be clapping. But when we are joyous, when we're singing an upbeat song, we clap along because we are joyous in that time. We see it in Psalm 98 that the psalmist mentions clapping as a visible display of joy. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth in joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord, and let the sea roar in all that fills it, and the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the hills sing for joy before the Lord. Isaiah 55 says, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. See, clapping is a natural way to make known the joy that we have inside of us. Sometimes our joy gets the best of us and we can't do anything but clap. You can walk through the halls and hear stories of things that are happening and you can see people get excited and they clap just in the hallway. But why do we reserve that in here when we hear of such great truths, when we're singing of such great truths during our worship service? God can truly be praised through your clapping. This might be the clapping of the beat to the song, This might be clapping after we sing a song together. Many times when the choir is up here or we see the kids up here singing and they're done with the song, we typically clap. I'm grateful for that. But I ask the question, why are you clapping? Because we've answered the question, yeah, I think it is appropriate that we clap in worship, but why are we clapping? Are we clapping for the person or the group that might be singing and raising them up? Or are we clapping for what God has done in their lives and the talents and gifts that he has given them? Are we clapping for the truth that they have just sung to us? Or a testimony maybe of how God has worked tremendously in the lives of someone? That is an appropriate response. Clapping is not wrong. We should do that. But the reasoning behind the clapping can be wrong. The next posture I want to show you is that of lifting of the hands. Lifting up our hands. We read through Scripture and find many different contexts that hands are lifted up and even spread out. We see in Psalm 134, too, that we have this exhortation to lift up your hands to the holy places and bless the Lord. 
And we see people lifting their hands to give praise to God through His Word. Psalm 63, 4 says, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Psalm 119, 48, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. How about lifting up our hands while we pray? We see Psalm 141.2 says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. 1 Kings 8.54 Now Solomon finished offering his prayer and plea to the Lord. He arose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with his hands stretched out towards heaven. And again, this was not just an Old Testament thing to do. Paul tells us in Timothy, first Timothy two verse eight, I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. And I think this is another posture that we tend to shy away from. Because I think there are some of you out there who would love to raise your hands. But you don't. And I would just say to that, if you feel the Spirit moving and you have reasons to raise your hands as you praise your Heavenly Father, then do it. This is a great posture for singing. You've opened up everything and you can sing joyously. But I look out here and I see some are timid to do many of these things. And I see you out there and you want to raise your hands but you've kind of got the Tim Hawkins carry the TV posture. And that's as far as you make it. Don't be afraid to show the joy that the Lord has inside your life as you praise Him. The danger in these postures, though, is that we can fall into doing them for show. We can fall into doing them for show. We have to have a reason to do this, not just because our neighbor is, but because we're moved to do these things. And the last posture I want to speak about, and I believe this is the most important posture, is because if we don't have this posture in line, then any other posture we do, whether it's raising our hands, whether it's clapping, whether it's dancing, we can't do it for the glory of God. And we really have no reason. So our inward and most important posture is that of the bowing of our hearts. Worship begins in the heart. With our hearts bowing to our Heavenly Father. And we fill our hearts and our minds with the truth of the Scripture. And we focus our hearts and our minds on these truths. And as the Spirit moves in our lives, we are filled with great joy and faith for the salvation and the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. Or maybe we focus on these truths and we're brought to sorrow and repentance over the sins in our lives. These are the reasons that we respond. And from these inward things that we feel, we, we can show them outwardly through these expressions and through these postures to God. But I also want to note that there is a place for stillness and a quiet praise. 
Psalm 46.10 says, To be still and know that I am God. It could be that some of you um, are inwardly praising Jesus with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. And you don't want to raise your hands. You feel uncomfortable. You don't want to clap. But if your heart is in the right place, that is just as beautiful to our Lord and Savior. And I used to judge years ago people's worship on how they were expressing it outwardly. Get done with some services and go, that was a horrible service. Nobody clapped, nobody raised their hand or did anything. But over the years I've learned what's most important is how you're worshiping and bowing down in your heart. So I simply want you to see this morning that what truly matters is that you are responding to the Holy Spirit in whatever way He is leading you to do. And don't let your response to the Heavenly Father be based on the person sitting next to you and what they might think. Whether we kneel or whether we stand, whether we lift up our hands heavenward or whether we close our eyes so that we can better focus on God, it is not the posture of our body, but the posture of our hearts that is most important. Because everything we do flows from the heart. Proverbs 4, 23. But let me encourage you to remember that you are not only communicating to God in this vertical worship, but you are also worshiping with those around you in this horizontal worship. Others are watching you worship. You are making a statement about your love for God and your relationship to God, not just in your heart, but to those who are around you, who can hear you and who can see you. There are probably some in this room who do not know Christ, and they are looking around at God's people to see how we worship, to see how we respond to these truths. Your children see you as you worship. How are you communicating Christ and your love for Christ to them? What are we communicating to those around us when we worship? Not just what we, we, when we are saying or singing, but what we are doing and how we are acting in that. We must begin with the heart. God is never impressed with just going through the motions this happened in Isaiah's day. God warns the nation of Judah in Isaiah 1.15. It says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. God is not concerned, or God is most concerned with the heart. But we are not to hide that worship in our hearts. Especially when we come together to encourage one another, and to sing together and join together as the body of Christ corporately to worship together in this place. And we must worship God openly and be unashamed in expressing our need for Christ, showing our love for Christ and joyfully bearing the name of Christ. Worship does begin in the heart, but our posture can and should reflect the worship that is taking place in our hearts. What we express outside should overflow from what is happening on the inside. But again, we must be careful to avoid the dangers of insincerity and pride. 
Because when we can fall into the dangers, we assume a physical posture so others will see us or be impressed. And in Matthew 6, 5, we see the Pharisees stood on the street corner to be seen. Matthew 6, 16, the hypocrites changed their countenance to be seen. We can fall into danger when we assume a physical posture thinking that God will be more pleased with us if we do so. He knows the heart. He knows the heart. We can't fool God. And we can fall into danger when we assume a physical posture because we are afraid of what others around us might think. Don't let that be the case. Let your outward actions reflect the inward reality. And be sincere and free in your outward expression of worship. As your heart is moved and worshiped, as it is informed and fed by the truth, as it is quickened and empowered by the Spirit, don't be hindered or afraid to outwardly express your worship in ways that Scripture encourages as appropriate for our corporate worship. We must share our joy and our praise, not just with God, but others that are around us. And when we are called upon to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we don't do it with just our inner being, but with our whole being. Close with this. It says, we can kneel or bow down because we feel a great need of God or because we are overwhelmed with a sense of His greatness and splendor. And we can kneel before God because God is sovereign and He is our King. And we can lift our hands as we pray or sing because we sense our desire and delight of being in God's presence and worship. And we can lift our hands simply because we need Him and simply because He is worthy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your spirit does move inside our hearts, Father. And I pray that as we come before you in worship, that our hearts would be right and that we would just have this outward expression that just pours out from us, from the joy, from the truth, Lord, that we know is right. Father, we read your word. We know the truths. We are excited about the truths. And may that be evident in our lives on a private level and also on a corporate level as we worship you week in and week out together. Father, we ask this all in your name. Amen. Let's stand.